Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. For tickets for an upcoming game or concert, visit TicketKingOnline.com or a quick link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. TicketKingOnline.com, 612-341-4141. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings... Mm -hmm. We present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast. I'm Ben Gessling from ESPN. I cover the Vikings for them, and I am joined, as always, post-game by Judd Zolgad from 1500 ESPN and Matthew Collar from 1500 ESPN. We are breaking down the Vikings' rather bizarre, rather eventful, uh, rather tumultuous in some ways, I suppose, uh, 22-16 overtime loss to the Detroit Lions at U.S. Bank Stadium on Sunday. First time the Vikings have lost in this stadium, and there is plenty to chew on from this one, uh, leading, of course, with Blair Walsh missing an extra point and having a field goal blocked that would have put the, the Vikings in position to win the game with really, with really no issues after they scored a touchdown in the last minute. Would have made Matt Prater's 58-yard field goal a non-entity because they wouldn't have tried it. And, of course, Golden Tate's flip into the end zone for a touchdown would have never happened in overtime had Walsh made one of those kicks. Lots of other issues to discuss, but uh, Judd, let's start there. I, I imagine the uh, you've come down with, from Mount Crumpet with uh, a couple of great Grinchy takes for us here. Well, my biggest takeaway is not – I mean, we can dissect a lot of things that went wrong, and Blair Walsh, make no mistake, lost this game. Uh, my biggest takeaway, though, is the Vikings, the last time we sat here in this booth and talked about the Vikings, they were 5-0, and and they were on top of the world, and we're talking about Super Bowls and Sam Bradford and how great things are going. And, guys, the starting point is this. You lose at Philadelphia, lose at Chicago, and then lose to Detroit today. This team has gone from being incredibly confident to a beyond mentally fragile group to where Mike Zimmer pretty much torched them and the offensive line in particular after the Philadelphia loss. The he walked that back a lot on Monday and today basically said, this is what I want will win games. Uh, what struck me about the locker room and about what the head coach is struggling with right now, guys, Matthew, is this. You can tell this group is mentally weak right now and they are teetering on a very, very uh, a small fence of they're going to go one way, which is find their mojo again. If they don't, they're going to fall off that fence and you got big trouble then. The way that I looked at this one was they really needed this win. I mean, when they were coming off those last two and then Norv Turner resigns, I think everybody could look at that and go, okay, well, this is, this is a whole new season now after Norv Turner because those last two games, you can chalk them up to some sort of power struggle and whose offense was it and seven-step drops versus three-step drops and, and all that nonsense. You could throw that out, new season, uh, Pat Shermer's our guy. We're going to get back to playing the way that we were playing before and click right into gear. And having it not work and, and losing this game, I, I think that is a kick to the confidence. At the same time, I think if you are on the offensive side, you go, well, for the most part, we did our job. And then if you're on the defensive side, you say, well, a lot of the time in this game we did our job. It's not like this great Lions offense lit us up. 
the kicker didn't do his job. And that doesn't mean that either one of those other sides was perfect, but they were very much reflective of how they were when this team was undefeated, playing at an, at an extremely high level on defense for most of this game, and then offense just doing enough to get them ahead. But when you, you don't have those couple of kicks, that's going to be the difference on an offensive team that's not going to put up 30 points every game. What happens with Blair Walsh now, guys? I mean, after the game, obviously – by the time people are listening to this, they've read the quotes and they've probably heard the audio or seen the video. Blair Walsh, of course, is at his locker and, and basically gets said, gets asked what happened, and he says, well, you guys are going to ask the same questions every week. It's like, well, yeah, when when you miss kicks, you're going to get asked about it because that's your opportunity to explain yourself, and, and you can take that and, and uh, object to the fact that you have to get asked those questions even though it's an opportunity for you to tell people what went wrong and, and share your side of the story. But... The fact remains, he's going to get asked those questions if he misses the kicks. And who's out there though? I, well, that's the I question. Mean, what, what do that's you the do? issue. Salary cap wise, they don't have and, much. And Robbie Gold was out there for quite some time. He, he's gone now with the Giants. Who's even out there? I mean, what if you want to make a change on Tuesday? Who are you bringing in? I don't know. I mean, and, and that is going to be the problem is the fact that they don't have enough money to to do a lot. But I mean, there has to be. Here's my I mean, don't you don't you have to at least bring in somebody for a tryout? Here's my problem. Here's my problem. And this is where I'll I'll go full sports Grinch. They were told this was going to happen repeatedly. This is Miguel Sano in right field. This is. Hey, Rick, Mike, Blair Walsh has become a liability when it matters most. It's going to bite you in the ass. No, it's not. It'll be fine. No, no, really. Listen to me. Just listen to me. Miguel Sano can't play right field. I can see it. And the stubbornness. In some ways, the Vikings got exactly what they deserve today because their stubbornness has continued to cost them. And for whatever reason, whether it be because Walsh was a draft pick, they like him because he's a good guy, whatever the reason, they sort of got what they deserved because Blair Walsh, when it, when it becomes most important, will cost you. You know, I look at that post-game press conference and I say, you didn't really do much to convince us that you aren't mentally weak when you're now kind of uh, taking this attitude toward the media. And, and if you're also anyone else on this team, if you're Anthony Barr or if you're Sam Bradford, I mean, how about Sam Bradford answering the same questions three weeks in a row about why things didn't work out perfectly? Of course, the offense was much better today. He had a good performance overall. But, I mean, the last two weeks, he could have said that, that to us after Chicago. Why, why are you guys ask, asking me why I get sacked? How about the offensive line? I mean, from day one, we've been asking them every time. Uh, why are you guys getting beat constantly? Why can't you make a fourth down and one conversion, right, by getting a little push? TJ Clemmings, why are you allowing defensive end and edge rusher after edge rusher to sack Sam Bradford, which happened again today? I mean, there are a lot of guys on the team who are getting those same questions, and everybody else seems to be able to handle it, but it happens for him, and it doesn't seem to go that way, which nobody walks away from that and goes, oh, he'll be fine. Right, I walk away from that going, oh my gosh, this guy is a wreck. And that, and that is the problem, and it's not going away anytime soon. And even just you know when he doinks the one extra point off the field goal post, just walking out there, the, like his body language and everything else, it just screamed, I'm going to miss this kick. And, and even, even if his, the percentages aren't catastrophically awful, just everything else, how it looks is – man, you're going to need to make some kicks playing close games, and this guy's not the guy that's going to be able to do it. That's how everything sets up right now. Now, we did say this after, like, week one, and then he made some kicks. So we were kind of like, the, But well, that's the thing, right, Ben? I mean, he always teases you. He takes you down this primrose path of, oh, he might be fine, and he's not. This is what drives me crazy, and this is why you keep warning the Vikings. You're making a mistake here. When well, you missed that field goal against Seattle two years ago, after two years ago, I said, this isn't working. And they're all, oh, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. And then they were until it mattered the most. And Matt's right. You know what? He jogs out there sometimes. And you say to yourself as a fan or in the press box, he ain't going to make it. Well, the, the problem is the, the line that always comes back is you guys focus on the one kick he missed. He made seven of eight or nine of ten or, you know, whatever stretch he's going through at the moment. The problem with that is – the one kick he misses in a league, by the way, where, where field goal kickers typically make 8 out of 10 at least, the one kick he misses could be the one that costs you. And it, it certainly was today and, and obviously was back in the playoffs in January. 
it, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, in the that it's an unfortunate part of that job, but it is part of that job that you can make nine of ten, and the one you miss could end up costing you a game, and that's the thing you have to own up to. But that is part of the job, and well, you have about, to have the head to handle that. How about the juxtaposition between him missing an extra point and a totally makeable 46-yarder and Matt Prater being a circus show, making it from 58 yards? Made two I, I from mean, 50. That's 52 is the one before that, I think. I mean, if you're a Vikings fan watching that, you go, oh, that's the value of having a really great kicker, right, as this guy nails one from 58 and makes it so Matthew Stafford only needed pretty much one pass to get them into field goal position. With Walsh, I never know what to do with this type of situation with a kicker because you say look I mean the guy's percentages for his career are reasonably good I mean if you're the team you might look at that and go well how do we cut him when over his career he's making x percent which is in the top 10 or 15 in the league and but I do think that it's just like a I don't know your Chuck Knobloch getting the yips and not being able to throw to first or um, you know, a golfer who keeps missing the three-foot putt. Like, these things in sports are real. That's why they pay sports psychologists, right? And if that is going to be the problem, that every time it's an important kick, Blair Walsh can't take it, then I don't know what you're supposed to do. I, if there isn't another kicker out there, then go for it on fourth I, down. I don't know. I got two options for you real quick, and I, I think these would both be fantastic solutions. Uh, Tom Mobarski, former Apple Valley High School kicker, Comes from a great pedigree, used to winning a lot, used to being around a lot of success, being from Apple Valley High School. And then there's Kevin Gessling, the former Raiders kicker. That I mean, that the last name tells you right there that that he's cut out for athletic success. Glad so those are two options to guys. throw out there. I mean, just off the top of my head, not having thought about it at all. Um, actually, Kevin Gessling, I think, got a kick blocked against the Vikings in the preseason a couple of years yeah, ago. Yeah, would be a great choice, right? After the game, Mike Prefer pronounced the guy's last name Gosling, and I, uh, I I gave Mike Prefer crap about it, I think, months later at the Senior Bowl. And he's like, oh, yeah, I, I didn't even think about it. I'm like, yeah, Mike, Pe- most people get it wrong. Offense. Those are my two off the top of my head. Well, thank you, Ben. The, sure. o- the offense in, in the second quarter, the, the drive after the Greenway pick was awful. But I will say this. Overall, guys, I liked what we saw at least. It looked to me – and, and Norv Turner is not default. Once again, let's make this clear. For the offensive line being a train wreck, and TJ Clemmings is awful. But that being said, I think the offense today and the execution, for the most part, had the right idea, which was they went West Coast, which meant this nonsense of putting Bradford in complete peril. And Bradford was slow to get up twice, so he did get hit. But putting him in complete peril on a consistent basis did seem to go out the window. Well, I've got the number on how long it took Sam Bradford to throw the ball today. And it was comparable to the Houston Texans game. And over the last two weeks, it's been an average of 2.57. And this week, it was 2.10. Pro football folks already have that out. Yep. And quicker uh, than our guys are. Against, um, well, you could have said it's the ESPN people. I mean, ta- that wouldn't you, be true. You could, you could take. You <laughs> Generally, could take telling the, the truth is an important attribute in this job, Matthew. Well, you know, twisting I, it. They, ben. they, they would, they would have that information at some point. They so, will. but anyway, they do have the number of how much he was pressured today. They do. How much was that? Yeah, I think I believe it was. Uh, I want to say it was like either seventeen percent or twenty three percent. I will get that, back with the much better than what it's been. Exactly, and going to the Pat Shermer style. I mean, you can trace Pat Shermer's coaching. Uh, tree all the way back to the Bill Walsh. If you follow it down to you know Andy Reid and Mike yeah. Holmgren, seventeen percent. I the mean, way. He, th- that's his influence, and it's the perfect fit for this. Stefan Diggs, thirteen throws in his direction, fourteen catches, playmakers with the ball in their hands. Cordero Patterson using the passing game as almost a pseudo running game was mostly mostly effective for this team today not on that one drive that i'm not sure i've ever seen anything worse than going wow. from the 18 yard yeah. line all the way back 30 to fourth and 32 but outside of that they moved the ball pretty consistently there were very few three and outs yeah i mean <laughs> a drive that starts on the 18 and ends in a punt is probably not something you're going to see a whole lot more uh in the course of the season the Vikings certainly hope you don't see it again on that side of things but uh yeah I mean otherwise I thought they were they were better uh I, I thought um you know they they looked closer to having a solution on offense you still had issues running the ball in short yardage situations when it mattered most obviously when they were trying to take the lead uh, yeah, towards the, down, the, yeah. the middle of the fourth quarter there but uh 
you did feel like there was a little bit more of a plan. It was also very interesting to hear Mike Zimmer after the game get asked about Laquan Treadwell. Just stop and slow down when I say that name now. Um, and he said, yeah, it's about time he got some plays. It was a very interesting little uh, comment. That there was from, a sideways shot. Yeah. There's no question about that. No, there were that no is issues, buddy. though. In, in, well, how about that no for him no. maybe uh, the third in two weeks for shots like that, going back to when Mike Zimmer said, well, I have spent my whole life trying to figure out how to beat protection, so I'll get the protection fixed, almost like right. uh, the guy who's running the offense can't get the protection fixed. Interesting to have Norv Turner say to Ian Rappaport that, well, you know, I, I really felt like I was the one holding the offensive back, or, or I may have been the one that was holding the offense back, and that's why I resigned. I mean, I think probably it was made clear to him mm-hmm. that by everyone in the building that he was the one holding the offense back and it was time to resign, and we saw it today. Just that they don't need to be perfect, but everything that they needed out of, their, out of the offense, they did get. And you know what, too? The unfortunate part of this game and the result, Judd, is just that Sam Bradford had this moment. I mean, he had this game-winning drive, fourth quarter comeback, like put raise the guy back up from the dirt where he spent the last two weeks to, hey, this is our quarterback who can really win something here. And that gets taken away from him by a kicker yep. and, by, and by the defense in overtime. Uh, there isn't much excuse for what happened in overtime either because now with the new rules, you still would have had a chance to drive yourself if they had held him to a field goal, but there was a lack of tackling on the last drive. And, and just those couple of meltdowns kept Sam Bradford from having this, this great day as a Minnesota Viking in front of – uh, all of the fans here and maybe sort of his defining moment or a turning point in the season. You could write all those stories yourself mm-hmm. just on that one drive. And that was all him for the most part, too. They score on the running play, but the way he drove them down, a couple of big throws to Adam Thielen, there were the, the throw to the back shoulder of Thielen or whichever way you want to put well, it. it was the catch behind. that Thielen made is, it, was phenomenal, uh, too. Both uh, of them were beautiful. It was, it was a fantastic catch, and I thought it was a great throw. I don't know if it was intentionally in that spot, but throwing it where he has to slam on the brakes and stop it and make the catch was the only spot that uh, he was the only one that could get it. So anyway, I that, yeah, I come away with this going, what a game, what a day this could have been for Sam Bradford. Well, and this and, was and this it was wasn't. this was exactly what this team needed at this point, right? This was exactly the, the type of win, and that's why I said I thought the post game locker room was really interesting because I do sense that this is a mentally fragile group, and a victory today would have swayed that completely differently. Their mojo's gone, and they, and they had every opportunity. They didn't play a perfect game, but they had every opportunity to get that swagger and mojo back. And they didn't. And I think what has to frustrate Vikings fans is this. They didn't get it back because of a problem that should have been fixed by now. That's the biggest thing. Hey, listen, if Blair Walsh had been perfect and has a terrible day, I get it. And you say, that's too bad, and you move on from there. But Blair Walsh, they've, the Vikings have been told by numerous people, listen, when it matters most, there's times he can't do it. And once again, in a game where they absolutely positively needed a win, not for the standings so much, Matthew, in my mind, as momentum of things, they didn't get it. And the very reason why they didn't get it is something they've been warned about continuously, which leads us back to the conversation of what do you do from here? And the scarier part of that conversation for a team that at one point uh, certainly had high aspirations is what can you do from here? And you don't know. Well, we've been asking those questions about the weaknesses of this team, about the kicker, about the offensive line and I think they solved one major problem with Norv Turner resigning, but the other two problems are just not getting solved. I mean, you just have to have you you have to have almost a perfect game every week by the defense. Yeah. And you have to have this what happened here today with the offense happen every week with getting the ball out quickly and you're going to deal with the fact that other teams are going to adapt to some of the things that you're doing in some of the looks. Now there there were some unique looks today, some some great play calls and and stuff that has worked for now like 20 straight years, which is hey, someone like Stefan Diggs finds a spot inside the zone, makes the catch, gets 8 yards. It's, yeah. a, it's a positive play and it's that sort of play has worked since Joe Montana to, say, that's to just Jerry a West, that's just a West Coast play. Yep, exactly. It's not it's not rocket science, it's not trickery, it's not creative. It is the fundamentals of a West Coast offense, and in this case, 
You need to have your quarterback get rid of the ball quickly, not because there's anything wrong with Sam Bradford. You just don't want Sam Bradford to get killed. The one thing that I will be curious to see if they do is when Alex Boone can return from his concussion at left guard, if Jeremiah Searles now goes out to right tackle, because I would still say the one guy who sticks out like a sore thumb on that line is TJ Clemmings. I mean, he continues. His confidence is gone. He continues to get beat. I am not saying that Jeremiah Searles is a Pro Bowl player, but what I am saying is I can't believe that he didn't hold up better at right tackle than Clemmings. I think long at left tackle, he's not great, but I think he's making some progress there, right? Uh, Boone at left guard when healthy is is fine. He's not great, but he's fine. Uh, Joe Berger at center continues to play well. So the problem is the right side of that line, and Fusco is going to have his moments where he's certainly not fantastic. But all that being said, the guy that I keep coming back to on replays and seeing again and again and again is TJ Clemmings. What's up, everybody? It's Tom Pelissero, host of Tom Pelissero's Goal Line Stand. Send me your hottest NFL takes on Twitter with the hashtag Goal Line Stand. We will debate the best, have a ton of guests from the NFL world, and a lot more. So make sure you listen every week on iTunes, PodcastOne.com, and 1500ESPN.com. The guy that I keep coming back to on replays and seeing again and again and again is TJ Clemmings. Yes, and I am in 100% agreement with you there, uh, that even if you can't solve the offensive line problems, that if you can now mitigate them with quick passes and have somebody in there who is even just below average, like Jake Long has been. Jake Long, in my mind, has not been atrocious. He's just been below average. Since the Philadelphia game, I think he's just been a guy. But that's all. But but he at least, it goes back to what I said about Khalil when fans were like, this is great, he's out. I think Jake Long has an idea of how to play left tackle, and he might not be great. T.J. Clemming's problem is right now, and this is going to sound really mean, but there's times when it doesn't look like he's a professional. It doesn't look like he has a clue what he is supposed to be doing. You know, if you get beat and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, it's frustrating to watch, but I sort of get it. But if you just get your butt kicked and it looks like you don't, know, you don't have a clue, that's what concerns me because I think that's how a quarterback gets hurt badly. The way that Clemmings has looked – to me is I used to do minor league baseball, single A games. Sure. And uh, sometimes a guy would get drafted in like, I don't know, the 30th round. And he would come, I know where you're going with this. Yes, would, this is he, perfect. Right. He would come in and he, they would, hey, man, just work hard. And, and there's a lot of guys in the later rounds who have made it. So try real hard and maybe even gets a couple of hits early on and he feels okay. But there is always a point, a tipping point where it's, Okay, this guy can't do it. I mean, this guy cannot hit 95-mile-an-hour fastballs. It just simply cannot happen at this level. And no matter how hard you work or whatever, I mean, Mike Zimmer praised T.J. Clemming's work ethic this week. He said that he's a great guy and that he works as hard as anyone. Well, I mean, maybe that's true, but if you can't hit a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, you are not going to hit a 95-mile-an-hour fastball just by working at it. And that's kind of the way it seems with him is that the gap between where he needs to be to even be a replacement-level player versus where he is now is a pretty big gap. He's getting beat on almost every play, and that, that to me required a change a little while ago with anything anyone from a practice squad anywhere to come in and play that position but they've continued to believe in him I will say that I didn't think it was the biggest problem today really I mean like it was in the last two weeks when you gave that extra half second but here's the problem with that is every once in a while you need that and here's what I see from Sam Bradford sometimes is Uh even when he's been given a pocket he, he wants to throw it early because he doesn't want to go to his second, third read because he thinks he's about to get destroyed. Yeah, he's scared at times. Yeah, no, he's I, definitely think, scared, yeah. I think that's he's seeing, it. He's seeing ghosts, and you could tell in the Bears game, there was one or two occasions where Bradford, I think he did get sacked, but there were, there were one or two occasions at Soldier Field where he basically started to give up and go down before he was going to be hit because he was so convinced the hit was coming. And that's a problem there. It is. You've got at least give him the confidence to know that if he drops back three steps and throws the ball, there's, he's not going to get himself killed that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I get it. I get the seven-step drop doesn't work and was a bad idea. But, yeah, there were times again today where you could tell he thought to himself, okay, 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 I got to get rid of this ball now. And he really didn't, but you can't blame a guy who 
the one thing he can't do is move. I mean, he can't move. You can't blame a guy who, for the most part, is not mobile for saying, if I don't deliver this ball quickly, I'm going to get hit from the blind side. Uh, if you're wondering, by the way, Ben Gessling had to step out briefly to do a radio appearance somewhere else, so Ben will be popping back in with us in uh, just a couple of minutes. I got a question for you. Okay. What's your take on – there were two drives by the Lions today that were very un-Vikings defensive-like, at least two, but the two that I identified were the second quarter drive after the Vikings' debacle of a drive that went backwards. Uh, Detroit goes 17 plays in 84 yards and ate up 9.45 of clock. And then my second uh, one is the overtime drive. The Golden Tate touchdown was about as odd as you can get in my mind in this sense. He catches the ball around the Vikings 15. Xavier Rhodes, who had come out of the game, Matt, a couple plays before that, goes for a tackle where I guess the best I could put it is he launches himself at Tate. He doesn't try and wrap up whatsoever. He goes flying out of bounds. And then just as surprisingly, Harrison Smith goes for the tackle and doesn't bring Tate down. Uh, The length of the second quarter drive and the inability of the Vikings, two of their best defenders, to, um, to execute properly on fundamentals, both of those struck me as being very odd for a defense that ordinarily is very good. Yeah, on the uh, first drive you're referring to, I mean, talk about taking the wind out of the Viking sails on that one. I mean, the, the, the fact that Detroit could keep the ball for nine minutes. Like, how many – I mean, we talked about all the weird things that happened in just today's game alone. Well, that was a weird thing that happened, that they were able to convert third down after third down. And I, I, I do think that there is a difference between a third down defense and just your overall defense. It's usually different personnel. It's usually different strategy. And it usually has not struggled for the Vikings, but it had some problems today. The Lions were 7-14 on third down, 50%. And, uh, and I will say this, though. Matthew Stafford, I've never seen him look this good. But nonetheless, there's no way that, that the Vikings coaching staff is going to go back, watch this film, and excuse a 50% conversion rate on third down by the opponent. And, and your, your point is valid, though, about Stafford, that we talked about it coming into this game, that this is a different Lions offense than Vikings fans have seen before when they've played Stafford and been used to ripping him to the ground and injuring his ribs, right? I mean, this is a offense with the Lions that really the Vikings want for themselves, where you're just getting the ball into the hands of playmakers and like Golden Tate and the play he makes at the end of the game. I mean, one thing to remember is he Tate is one of the most explosive players in the NFL. And a move like that to dodge Xavier Rhodes, it just shouldn't come as, as a huge surprise, although I would have expected Xavier Rhodes to make that tackle. And Unfortunately, he didn't. Harrison Smith, I think, probably had his toughest game uh, today. Uh, He's usually reliable for a tackle like that. He did get a sack. But um, I think on that overtime drive, that was the only time where the Vikings defense felt like, boy, they are out of sync here. Something is going wrong. Ben, I was just uh, talking about the point that the Vikings defense, to me, that there were two drives that were very odd for this defense. The one was the second quarter, one that the uh, Detroit went, what did I say, was it 17 plays? Yeah, one took like eight and a half, nine minutes or whatever yeah. it was. And then the last one where, where two guys in the secondary who were ordinarily very good both m- missed. Rhodes went for what looked like he tried to not, not even tackle, he sort of Launch threw himself, almost. launched himself yeah. at Golden Tate. But those were two drives to me that were very odd for a defense that ordinarily is very sound. Yeah, I mean, that, that has been an issue the last two weeks now that we've seen them have is the tackling hasn't been very good. And that we saw a little bit of that. I think 2014 sticks out in my mind more than 2015. But some of the days where they were having trouble stopping the run, that has been a big part of that problem. We saw it against the Bears. We saw it again today. I mean, that that's one of those things that if that becomes an issue, you're going to have trouble because, I mean, the defense has not been able to put a lot of pressure on quarterbacks lately. And now if they are going to have that problem and you have to make a lot of tackles with guys in front of you, especially when teams are getting rid of the ball quickly, we're going to see more of that next week against the Redskins too. I, man, I, yeah, if if that becomes an issue, that certainly is a big concern. Ben, do they deserve criticism for not – going to Terrence Newman as the nickel corner quicker and deciding to give Mackenzie Alexander a chance because he was worked pretty badly by Anquan Bolden in that entire drive that lasted almost 10 minutes. And, uh, you know, I mean, Trey Wayans has had his moments too throughout the season, but one thing he can do is run with really good wide receivers. And they decided instead to go to the rookie and got burned for it. Yeah, I mean, 
yeah, there were a couple moments I can think of that, that Alexander looked like he got himself in some trouble. I, yeah, I mean, I thought Wayne's played really well today. I mean, he made a couple plays on, the, on that deep ball late in the game where he, he broke that up. Yeah, I mean, you could you could make that case that you need to go to Newman sooner there because your best three corners right now, other than Munderland, are Newman, Rhodes, Waynes. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, we'll see what happens with Munderland here. Um, I, the way that looked, it, you wonder if he's going to be able to play next game, week. Yeah, Because his knee was braced up, and, and he said he's going to have an MRI, I think, on his knee and ankle tomorrow. Yes. And then he already hurt the same foot, I think, on the on his right leg is my guess. Yep. Against the Bears. It was so. his right leg today. I can't remember what it was in Chicago. I asked him about it after the game in Chicago, and he said he was fine, and that I, it obviously got worse today. All right, let's get to the main question on Twitter. Post-game question on Twitter, and you guys tell me. Uh, the Can Vi- imagine what this is. Yeah, no, no, no. This is, this is the Vikings, Mike Zimmer's use of his timeout number uh, two. Yes, okay. Yes. Vikings, second and two. At the Detroit two on uh, on what became at that time the go ahead touchdown drive, Matt Asiata out of a no huddle offense goes up the middle for one yard, so he gets to the Detroit one. So with twenty seven seconds left, Ben Gessling, Mike Zimmer calls timeout. The Vikings then score the uh, go ahead touchdown at that time. Twenty seven seconds left in the fourth quarter. A lot of people said, "Why use that timeout? Why not bleed more clock at that point?" Yeah. Zimmer was asked about it and said we knew exactly what the play was and, and tried to explain it. Did he make a mistake? And by the way, this is still on Blair Walsh. I mean, Blair Walsh still missed an extra point and field goal. But that being said, did Zimmer make a clock management mistake because he's gotten criticism for clock management yeah. a few times before? Yeah. You tell me. What do you think? Well, I mean, on an objective level, probably. Um, you know, I, I you certainly saw it come back to bite them. I I guess I would hedge a little bit in the sense that when you look at this offense, I, I almost kind of feel like you have to take care of your own stuff first. Like if if you feel like your offense needs a timeout to get set there, or if you're worried about having enough time to score, you know, if you end up in some situation where you get the ball to the one yard line, you get a first down. I'm trying to remember what the down and distance situation was there, but if you get a defensive penalty or something and, and, you're not it's not an offense that's very good at just one play punch it in they know exactly what they want to be they don't they know who they're going to go to in that situation so yeah i mean i wonder a little bit if if some of it was okay we need to just give them some help and uh not worry about the consequences that come with it we need to score and, and worry about the rest later do you have uh judd in front of you the down distance of that play uh where they called the timeout. Do you have sure. that right in front of you? Yes. Yeah. I'm curious about so that. So it was second two from the Detroit two. Asiata carries for a yard, so he gets to the Detroit one. So now we are, they scored the touchdown uh, by Ellison on third and one at the Detroit one. So they were set up, it was going to be third down and one at the Detroit one. Mm, okay, well. 27 seconds left uh, when then, like. then I understand the criticism because if it's third down and he gets stopped then you call the timeout and then it's fourth down and that's where the ball game rests, right? So where what people are saying about calling that timeout I think is absolutely correct I still think that your win probability when you're leading and kicking the ball off and the other team's getting it at the 25 with with, no timeouts with no timeouts and 23 seconds left your win probability should be like 98 percent I mean especially when you're supposed to have the best defense in the league right I mean that's the thing is that well I would say yeah you know what Mike Zimmer probably should have given it another eight seconds or 10 seconds off. And maybe that does end up making the difference. I don't look at that as, well, he, he just blew it. I look at that as they blew it with giving up a 27 yard pass when you're playing in the prevent defense. And the other part of it is Matt Prater is not from earth. And he just, he just, that, that, I mean, that is a, that is just such a bomb field goal and it's an amazing kick. And in some ways you just have to hand it to him for that as well. I, I, I think it is wrong, but I don't think it's exactly the reason that they lost. Yeah. I mean, if anything, if I'm, if I'm thinking about a, a late game issue, it's probably more rushing three. And playing prevent probably a little too cautiously. That surprised you guys? A little. Did Zimmer would do that? A little. Yeah. I mean, he's he's not typically a guy that is a passive coach. I mean, it, it 
you know, you hate to make this comparison, and Vikings fans are going to, if they're still listening closely enough to get mad about this, they're going to get mad about me saying this, maybe. But didn't this feel a little bit like a Leslie Frazier loss? Yes. I mean, 2013. The, the locker room felt like a Leslie Frazier locker room. That's what surprises me about this. There wasn't, I didn't sense a defiance in this locker room of, okay, the kicker cost us the game, but we don't give a bleep. We're coming back and winning. Yeah. I sensed, uh, I think we're still good. I think we're still good. Someone tell us we're still good. Yeah. I mean, it felt, like, it felt like a self-esteem rally in the locker room. That's what surprised me. So, yes, that all felt very Frazier-like to me, which is a flashback to a team that never really had confidence. Yeah. And these guys, after five games, were the most macho group of people I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, this is, this is interesting. This is going to be very interesting to watch because we have not seen Mike Zimmer go through this yet as a coach where, I mean, yes, they had losing streaks in 2014, but who cares? I mean, they were, they were young. They were first year in a new scheme. They didn't have Adrian Peterson. They had a rookie quarterback. That was just kind of learning how to win. And last year they didn't hit a losing streak of more than two games, and both of those were in the span of four days. So, I mean, they had. I think they lost three out of four when you when you add in the Packer game that they lost uh, at TCF. But they haven't had this yet, where it's like, okay, everybody's watching, and we're hitting the skids, and this whole thing could spin out of control very quickly. It's going to be interesting to see how they respond. Well, and now all of a sudden the schedule doesn't look as uh, favorable Not anymore, so right? much. When you're undefeated and we're looking forward, you go, oh, you can beat that team, you can beat that team. And now all of a sudden it's a decent Washington team. Arizona is like not good, but you could still see it. So right? the shells of a a team that went to the conference championship game it, there, I guess. And I mean. then you've got the Lions again, and then you've got the Cowboys, which, you yeah. know, I mean, this next stretch – of four games is really going to define the season. And I don't think you want to come out of where you're at now and, and out of a locker room feeling like, boy, those guys really seem deflated. Well, now you've got four really big and really tough games that will make the difference between whether you win the division or not. And, well, uh, we'll see just, about that. <laughs> it seems like nobody wants to win this division well, anymore. That, you know, that may be true because the Packers had a really tough day uh, against Indianapolis yeah. as well, which I didn't expect. Packers 4-4 four and four now? I was writing off Indianapolis, Jeez, too, as a team man. that the Vikings should just beat, but they still have Andrew Luck, and they just beat the Packers. But it was as if, you know, a couple weeks back, three weeks back, it was as if, okay, you've got your upper echelon, and they're not great. I mean, the Patriots are the class, but in the NFC, right? You sort of had your upper echelon. Yeah. It looked like Minnesota was up there. Dallas was beginning to climb there and is now definitely there. There was a very few what I would term to be pretty doggone elite NFC teams. And now the Vikings have crashed down from that. And so you look at Washington, and you certainly don't say, oh, win there. You say, wait and see. It's now, it's now very different, and it's partially based on the feeling is different too. And it all comes back to this too. If you're in a tight game – Assuming that a move is not made with Blair Walsh, you can't tell me beyond a shadow of a doubt he's going to rebound and be fine, you know? Yeah. And if he loses you another game, another two games, eventually you start to try and play yourself, not on purpose, but you do out of a division title. And at that point, now your concern becomes, can you even make the postseason? I mean, it sounds ridiculous. Yeah. Given that this team was 5-0 and one time, but really playing it out now, you don't know what to expect. We did see a 6-0 and team here miss the playoffs. 0-3, yes. Another thing they won't, that fans won't want to hear about, well, we did see and this, it, and, and it, this is not that team. Well, this didn't feel I like – I don't think. I never thought this team felt like that team until today. Right. Today in the locker room, when guys are trying to convince themselves that they're still good and that they're going to, to move on. And I always, guys, last season with the Vikings, even when things didn't go well, I always sensed this hubris of, okay, we'll, we'll be fine. Right. I mean, they went in – to the Cardinals game on a Thursday night. They lost that game, but they were still fairly defiant going into that game. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see that defiance now. So it's a very odd, I don't know how to take this. Yeah, I would agree that there's not that same mentality, which is odd, too, in the sense that the defense, I mean, yeah, they were missing Eric Kendricks, which I think was a big loss mm-hmm. today. But overall, they've been fairly healthy. It's just It doesn't seem like the defense is playing quite with the same we are going to dictate the game and you're going to have to take it and like it kind of attitude or, you know, some of that is, is game situations and some of it is how the game plays out too. But it just, it doesn't feel the same as it did. It feels like they've had teams that are starting to be able to 
you know, figure out a way to scheme against them. Well, I think what you have here is a, a very good defense, maybe even the league's best, but I don't think it's a Denver defense that is no, so good. No, I don't either. It is not so good that it's going to go into every yeah. game and dominate yeah. every team and every quarterback. It is your, your run-of-the-mill top five NFL defense that can get beat at times and will have its moments. And you mentioned Kendricks. If Captain Munderland is out, that causes some problems yeah, too. Yeah, The one thing is when they were 5-0 – and oh, I mean, there's nobody hurt on the defensive side. They missed Rhodes for a couple games in there, and they survived through that, and then he came back and played great. But, I mean, the injuries have almost all been on the offensive side of the ball. If you start seeing some guys dinged up, I think what we know about this team, and it goes for any team in the NFL, but what we know about this is that if you start getting into those backups, there's a pretty steep drop-off at some areas. And the linebacker position, Greenway gets an interception. There were times where you went – not sure Greenway's going to get out there and make that play on a running back, or if you know, there's one on Eric Ebron in overtime that he, you know, he he looked like a 33 year old linebacker trying to cover Eric Ebron. And Cole hasn't played much, and Lemur hasn't played much for a reason, right? Right. And so, I mean, if you're without Kendricks, and who knows with a concussion for any long period of time, I think teams are going to look at that and go. We found it. We found the one weakness in this defense, and it's right over there. Well, and you're going to see the Redskins play them a lot like the Eagles, Bears, Lions did. You're going to see a lot of quick throws. You're going to see a lot of get the ball out and make them tackle what's in front of them, and that is a tough game. I mean, I, I think that that one is is probably the toughest road game left on the schedule, especially given what the Packers look like right now. But you have that. Arizona comes in here after that. Then you go to Detroit on Thanksgiving Day, and then you have Dallas on Thursday after that. I mean, is it reasonable to think they're going to? I mean, it, it you know these things change so quickly. But if they go two and two in that, I mean, is that unreasonable to think that they're going to come out of that and be seven and five? The way that I look at it is, I mean, the, that, that doesn't sound anywhere near as shiny as five and zero oh did. No, it, it it definitely doesn't. But the way that I look at it, though, is because they lost the game because the kicker didn't make the kicks he was supposed to make. Um, it just changes our tone so much to what the yeah. parts of the offense and defense really did today. And, I mean, yeah, there were some some cracks in the foundation of the defense, and there were some bad moments for the offense. There had been throughout the season, I thought, uh, they were pasted over a little by a punt return for a touchdown or something like that. But when you look at the process of having Pat Shermer now running an offense that – can have its moments as opposed to what it looked like the last two weeks and a defense with this much talent it, it I don't think it would be time to um can I say hit the panic button is that too much cliche for you yes it is yeah uh, I'll be glad to hit it for you I, I where is it I don't <laughs> I, I would not say that I sit here and look at the rest of the schedule and go well we shouldn't favor them in, in a lot of those games there should be there I'm should, not saying that there, there but going on the road to Washington and playing Dallas at home. Yeah. I no longer That's know what to think. That's a tough slate. Yeah. I just don't know what to think. I don't. I mean, I guess the next four games will help clear things up. But, like, if you're asking me what I think right now, I don't know. They've got injuries. They've got question marks. They've got a kicker you can't rely on. And we knew that. But we're reminded of that again today. Uh, you got a head coach who I think is looking for a solution and I don't know he has the answer because I think he, he's in, you know, Mike's never been in a situation, guys, before where he has dealt with a reeling team with expectations. Yep. You know, I mean, that's a very different, that's very different than, oh, man, the Vikings are a feel-good story and now they're slumping, but they'll probably be fine. No, I mean, if the Vikings continue to go in the tank here, that's a big deal and that's going to be held against the head coach and, and this team. So I just don't know, I don't know if they know where this train is headed right now. And so it's hard for us to sit here and predict it. It's always interesting to me that Zimmer's tones and, and where they go, that it's a, it is a roller coaster of emotions with the head coach. And I mean, I'm not going to try too hard to find all the different things, uh, you know, that might be wrong. I'm not, I'm not going to hunt to places where there aren't actually problems that exist just to try and find them. But at the same time, like you do wonder how a team that faces adversity will do it with Zimmer because of his own emotional nature. I mean, he yeah. is just, he seems to be very, very up and down depending on the week, depending on what's going on. And maybe they do need a little more of a uh, dead inside I old football coach 
from I him think, sometimes. I think, and I did, I did not object to this at the time, and I still don't, but I think it backfired. I think calling the offensive line and some of the players soft after the Philadelphia loss backfired. And I'll give you the parallel that I see playing out just a little bit. Ben, do you remember at 6-0 in 2003, they lost to the Giants at the Metrodome, and I want to say Red McComb stormed in the locker room and, yeah. tore, and tore the team down. It just went nuts for no reason. You're 6-1. I one. covered that game as an intern at the Pioneer Press. I was, was definitely here because Jeremy Shockey was an ass after the game. Well, in the other locker room, the owner is at the time is melting down on his team, and it's like, what are you doing? And after that, they, were, they went sideways. And I do wonder... Not a complete parallel, but I do wonder if going after some of the players in the team publicly backfired because I've noticed Zimmer keeps walking that back. And it was interesting, his quote today about this game was what I wanted. The last two, I really didn't. So clearly after the Chicago game, privately, he was furious, but he never let on to that. And I just wonder if he has a team that doesn't handle it real well when you challenge them, which is funny because... Zim strikes me as a guy that loves to challenge people. Yep. But it's all very odd. It's all very odd because I, at the time I thought, good for him. And now I think, I wonder if it just didn't work. He said something this week in a radio interview about that there were other issues that went into yes. – I, I didn't rip them yeah, you're right. the same way I did after the Philly game because there were other issues there, and he wouldn't get into what they were. Yeah. But, boy, and do we have any – theory and do we have any baseless speculation that we want to throw out there as to what those things are i thought it was a reference to schmore of schmerner yeah well but i think that i think the question was asked in response to it was in a discussion about norv being gone mm-hmm. I, I don't know exactly what well, the issue was there's there, clearly a lot there that they're going to do their best to keep quiet yeah perhaps they, they will but clearly the whole Divorce with Norv gets into a layer to probably a guys that like Norv and guys that like Mike. I mean, these things with football teams always happen. The question is, the question is not are you going to have friction and dissension. The question is, can you manage it? And some teams and some coaches are brilliant, and some teams can't. I mean, Belichick just doesn't give a damn. Yeah. I mean, he'll just trade his best defensive player and say, too bleeping bad. But, I mean, we are definitely in a situation now where Norv – or where Mike is trying to manage somewhat of a crisis, and clearly the thing with Norv is way more messy and complicated than we have any idea about. Well, there's no doubt there were things behind the scenes. I mean, they they tried to paper over it this week, but as we talked about Wednesday, I mean, there was stuff bubbling back to a couple of years ago when Mike Zimmer went to to Hugh Jackson after the, the first season and said, can you give me a little bit more of a crash course in what the process is like to coach offense so that I have a better sense of how to evaluate my people, which tells you that's a long way from I'm bringing in Norv because I want him to run the offense and he has carte blanche to do it. When Mike Zimmer was going to that, and, and I'm, I probably didn't say it strongly enough, that was not a decision he made with, oh, I just want to learn more. It was, I don't know if I completely trust what I'm seeing here and I need to have a better sense of, of what's going on. And then... To bring in Pat Shermer certainly probably upset the apple cart, and you know there were there were other things going on last season. I mean there were disagreements on on how to use certain players, how much to use certain players, and, and some of those things are over the course of a football season normal things. But it was also very interesting today to hear Mike Zimmer talk about Laquan Treadwell and say, "Well, it's about time he got some plays." I mean that felt like a little bit of a a backhanded. Uh, slap at oh, Norv. Did, yeah. And I, I had somebody tell me today that, that Treadwell and Norv didn't get along terribly well. And, and Norv has been the kind of guy with rookies that said, okay, you, you're going to have to prove that but you can Cordero, get on the field. Guys. Yeah. I mean, Cordero Stephon Patterson Diggs. was ostracized. Yep. You would have thought he had the plague. I mean, he can't run a route very well, but my God, that doesn't mean the man can't play football. Yeah. And, 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 then, and then just to throw one more person in the stew of what's going on here is Rick Spielman. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. We don't know if Zim really likes Blair Walsh or he's told, listen, that's my guy. We don't know. There's so many factors here. We don't know. That's what I'm saying is getting through a football season, you're going to have dissension and friction between players and coaches and administrators. The question is who can manage it and who can't. And I, um, so sorry, just to, to add on to the Treadwell, I asked Laquan, this was before the resignation of Nora Turner, if Turner had the staff had been clear about what he needed to do to get on the field. And his answer was, no. 
Yeah. And I mean, and it was it was like one of those moments where it was like he forgot he was being interviewed yeah. sort of thing where he just looked at me and goes, no. Like, I mean, it was. He didn't turn his the, cliche locker room face on. He sort of it sort of like hit him after there was like a little bit of a pause. Then he went, well, I'm just I just got to keep working hard. But it was that moment of just say he's got you up. I'm I'm a, a little bit of uh, I'm a little bit frustrated by the fact that they're not telling me. Just exactly. tell them you respect their decision. <laughs> Well, and that guy can't. The GM can't be pleased to see his first round draft pick sitting there and not playing, right? I wouldn't think. Or or Patterson. I mean, he traded. He traded a lot to the Patriots to get that pick, and now the guy can't play. Did this? Did this today's offense? The fact that they should have had a game winning drive, and the fact that Bradford really had two potential game winning drives, one to get them to the five, and they couldn't get it done, and then one to actually get it in the end zone. Does that go a long way into clearing all that out? It might. I mean, we'll see. I think we need to see a little more consistency before we know exactly what's going on. But I do think that there was more of a – there was less push and pull today schematically with the offense. I think there was more of a sense of this is what we want to be, this is what we do well, and and this is how we have to manage the things we don't do well. So I, I thought that part was better. I mean, the defense really, you know, other than the last drive and really certainly in overtime, had played pretty well. You know, yeah. There's a lot of these things that you sit there and say, okay, if Blair doesn't miss those kicks, yeah, there were issues, but they're six and two, and the Packers lose again today, and at that point, the Lions are four and five, and and you've got your your comfortable lead back in the division. They are still leading the division, but a lot of it feels a lot different now that they've lost this game, and and they're only a half game up on the Lions, who they see again in two and a half weeks. Just a, a shame to see that this club has really become fat cats. That's all I know. Well, I really, you know, the fact the Vikings, I didn't expect it going into the bye, but somehow they became fat cats. Well, and, and fate does not often favor uh, felines that are a bit on the portly side, as we found out. We should uh, we should wrap this up. I think we have, have probably taken our listeners down the rabbit hole or the into the cat's lair or whatever animal we're talking about. More cats. Let's chop off their heads. Well, I mean, can you believe this team thought it was the cat's meow after 5-0? and yeah, it, it it really is. Uh, it, it's it's sort of amazing where Pole things have gone really. here. Yeah. I mean, head scratching. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it it certainly has gone in a, in a different direction. No, I'm sorry about this. this. Is all my fault. Collar's been turned. We should have cut this off sorry, five guys, minutes like, ago. Let's edit this out. Bye. <laughs>